Welcome to the Only One Business Show with me, your host, James Nathan, chatting to some of the UK's leading business professionals, sharing tips, insights, and advice on how to create amazing customer experiences whilst building bigger, better, and more profitable businesses as a result. What can you do in your business today and in the years to come to truly delight your clients? What exceptional experiences can you give them to take away and cherish? How can you delight the most important person in the world? Satisfaction makes you one of many. Delighting clients makes you the only one. And you can't be just one. You have to be the only one. Hello and welcome to the Only One Business Show with me, your host, James Nathan. And in the studio today, I've got somebody who I think you're going to really enjoy. This man is on a mission to make a positive difference. He's an award-winning business consultant, advisor and entrepreneur with an international board-level background in the staffing and recruitment sector. For the past 16 years, he's been working with recruitment business leaders, helping them to achieve significant growth, performance improvement and competitive advantage, acting as a non-executive director, consultant, trainer and strategist for numerous fast-growing recruitment businesses. He's a passionate speaker on behalf of the recruitment and staffing sector and is the chairman of the Recruitment Network, the fastest-growing global support and advisory club for recruitment business leaders. He's also an Ironman triathlete, which he competes in for uh, raising money for his own personal charity. Please welcome James Osborne. James, hi, how are you? I'm very good, thank you, James. How are you doing? I'm I'm great, thank you. Triathlons must be hard work. Uh, yeah, they yes, <laughs> to say the least. Yeah, it's something I took up a couple of years ago, and decided to uh, go for a, try and become an Ironman, and that was my right. ambition. So last year I managed to complete my first Ironman last year. So fantastic. So how that that's a, a long way, isn't it, Ironman? How is it? Does it finish with a, a marathon? Is that what I? Yeah, so th- three point eight k swim, hundred eighty k bike ride, and then a marathon to finish off. Took me about fourteen hours of sheer hell. Right, um, but yeah, yeah, all worth it. Glad I did it, and something I always want to achieve. So very pleased. And is that the kind of thing you do again? Is it like you know, my wife runs half marathons and she keeps doing them? Is it? <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think so. Yeah, I'm addicted to it now. Um, you know, I, I do it to raise money for a charity. So um, you know, as, as much as I can keep pushing myself, I'll keep doing it as long as my body lets me and my wife lets me. Then I will. <laughs> What's the charity? Um, well, I lost my son, my first son, a number of years ago. So we raised money for the hospital where he was born uh, down in Bath. Okay. Yeah. So um, it's good. It just keeps us uh, sort of puts a positive swing on on something which was fairly negative at the time for us. Sure. Oh no. Good on you, James. That's uh, things like that are horrendous, and if you can bring something positive, mm. then then awesome. Um, Hundred eighty mile bike ride, a kilometre bike ride, and then a marathon. Okay, um, yeah, you're obviously a very driven guy, um, and you spent a huge amount of time in the recruitment sector. What is it about recruitment that draws you? What do you love about it? Um, that's, a, that's a whole host of things, really. I mean, I mean, I, I fell into recruitment about twenty five years ago when I was living over in Australia. Um, so I've always been in the recruitment sector. I, I love. Mm-hmm. I know. I love the people in recruitment. I think it's just full of characters. I mean, for <laughs> good, bad, and ugly. But you know, right. there's some amazing people in the recruitment sector, and, they're, and the ones I know are absolutely just wonderful. So the characters themselves are brilliant. I think you know, being very serious, and you know, I think sometimes this sounds a little bit cliche, but I just love the impact that the recruitment sector has on on people's lives, on the on the world that we live in, on the economies that we serve. You know, it's just. 
we, we sit at the heart of so many things and I think done right, the impact we can make is, is huge. So mm-hmm. I just love that. I, lo- I love the impact that we can have. I think it's wonderful. I mean, you and I have been in recruitment about the same amount of time, which is, mm-hmm. uh, I call it donkey's years these days because it makes it quicker and easier. But what's what's been changing recently? When you look at the sector and the way it, it's operating, what have been the, the sort of significant changes of, of late? Yeah, I mean, I mean, well, there's quite a few. I mean, I think the industry is is changing and metamorphosing all the time. I think if that's the right word. The, um, you know, obviously we've had things like you know technologies coming in playing a massive part in how we do and don't work. It's it's um, on the positive side. It's made the industry far more agile. Um, allows a hell of a lot more. Um, possibly on the mm-hmm. negative side, it's taking some. Care. Not not huge amounts at this stage. I think it's a long way to go yet before it does anything serious from that perspective. But it's certainly waking up the industry a little bit more. Today. Um, what one of the things I do like about how tech had a, a positive impact on the industry is, is the fact that the, the marketplace, sort of, which is the largest part of the industry, so the smaller recruitment companies, uh, seem to have the ability now to um, take on and compete with some of the bigger players out there, uh, which traditionally had a, a largest share of the market. So I think the positive side is quite really enjoying working with the SME market, you know, those recruitment companies up to up to 120 staff, sort of thing, anywhere in between. Uh, seem to be doing a, a lot of stuff. So I think the you know, the industry is, is is changing. It's changing all the time. You know, if you think about, we are a sales driven industry to an mm-hmm. extent. I think that's uh, I think buying and selling has changed over the years, just generally, um, not only in recruitment but outside of that as well. So you know, I, I think just the way that we do things, mm-hmm. the way that we work in, in any any industry has changed, and I think recruitment is is part of that journey. Um, I don't think we've really hit on all the changes yet. There's a lot more to come, um, but I think it's a really exciting time in the industry at the moment. I think, and, and and if you look at it as well, like any industry, is those recruitment businesses and those recruitment professionals that are embracing yep. the change and using it to their advantage seem to be uh, winning at the moment and outperforming the rest of the market. It's um, it's interesting what you say about the smaller businesses because the 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 um, the the draws to entry or the ability to move into the recruitment marketplace has never been that difficult. You know, all you really ever need is a phone and uh, and a load of effort, um, but the ability to um, to source candidates and to and to be involved at a better level with technology seems to have, have come on leaps and bounds lately. Yeah, I, th- I think so. I mean, I mean, I mean, there's, there really is no barrier to entry to set up a recruitment business or become a recruiter. So, you know, that, I think that's good in one sense that I think it just keeps the the flow of new people and new ideas coming into the industry alive. Um, possibly has its impact because you know you get some people coming in that maybe shouldn't be doing recruitment um, and maybe not doing it in the best the best sort of way. <laughs> right. um, but but no, I did, yeah. there's no getting away from the fact that recruitment is a, a human a human industry. It's all about people. Technology is there just to, as an mm-hmm. enabler, and it's not a replacement. And I think um, you know, can yeah. it can it replace sales and marketing and the BD process and the, and the sort of the account management process? No, it can it can improve it certainly and make it make it more um, more efficient. Um, can it replace the sourcing mm-hmm. process? Well, no. But at the same time. You know, it enables us to find talent that other people aren't able to find um, and that type of stuff. We still need to convince and work with that talent to convince them to take a new job or move or take a, get a, persuade a client to take a candidate. So there's a huge human element of, of the recruitment mm-hmm. industry that will never go away. Um, tech tech just enables it, doesn't replace it. And no, it's very interesting. I mean, I, I'm sure you, you you see this in the businesses you work with, but uh, the number of people tapping on keyboards is getting higher and higher and higher, and the number of people picking up telephones is getting lower and lower and lower. Um, but when you walk into a business where there's lots of noise and lots of people talking, um, it, it's no surprise that the fee boards are pretty full as well. Yeah. Um, I, I do. I do think that the ability to map um, using technology 
So finding the right people for jobs is is becoming um, easier in some ways and more complicated in others. Um, but all of that's got to be a very good thing. Yeah, I, I how does how does the technology side impact the service element though? Because there is a huge amount of of reliance on on tech in recruitment these days. Yeah, I, th- I think it has a again it has a positive and a negative. I think you know from a service point of view, I think it can have the tendency to uh, potentially make recruiters and, and any business professionals a little bit lazy um, to an extent okay. because if tech can replace me having to do it, then I might as well use tech and then. That in itself, then I think, depersonalizes and to an extent dumbs down um, the sort of the relationship we have with our clients and candidates. So, I think we need to be a little bit careful that we don't use tech to replace uh, the service piece. Having said that, you know the tech mm-hmm. technology does give us the ability to um, extract really useful data, um, and that data can then certainly help us improve the customer experience and the uh, and the service level how we do it and tailor service to what industry what candidates what clients are actually looking for as opposed to what we think is right okay um and to an extent you know it can can help us streamline and automate parts of the service piece but again not going too far because if you go too far then you are depersonalizing it um, which then takes away the real usp i think of what recruitment is all about so what what is going too far well i think going too far is when you know one of the biggest issues that candidates often say is that they never hear back from recruiters or or, or when they do it's very generic sort of stuff so you know if 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 we have a relationship with our candidates which is very much portal driven which is very much um based around automated responses then i think that's going a little bit too far um because i think it then it just becomes you know you, you know it's like when you receive some a you get it more time when you get generic responses from people that you know has just come from a chatbot or it's come from a uh, a data source or whatever, mm-hmm. or you get a call from a, you know, I'm getting calls these days from companies trying to sell me stuff and it's actually a, a, a robotic voice as opposed to actually being a human at the other end sort of stuff. You know, that's just too far. Um, and, you know, mm-hmm. the world doesn't buy into that yet. I don't think, I don't think they have these things survive. But um, so that to me is, that to me is too far, I think. It's interesting when you say that, how they survive, because I always wonder that and they must do, otherwise they wouldn't do it. Yeah, I, I honestly don't know. Um, I honestly don't know whether it's just because they, they survive because their customers pay their, these call centers, these contact centers based on the numbers of contacts and communications they have rather than the actual outputs. Um, if that's the case, I, mm-hmm. when, they, when they ring and it comes through on a mobile number I don't recognize, I'm intrigued, I pick it up, I listen, and then suddenly the next thing you know, I find I'm talking to a robot that hasn't actually got a clue who I am. And it's an automated message. So if that counts as a hit in a contact center, and that's what they get rewarded on, then maybe it does work from that point of view, but it yeah. doesn't create any output. It's very interesting. I mean, I, the, Apple have just updated their latest operating system as they as they tend to do. And, you know, one of the upgrades was that you can filter those out. So the phone doesn't actually even ring if it doesn't mm. recognize the number. Um and I think that's, that's going to make it um, good and bad. You know, if, if someone phones me from a number I don't know, I'm always excited, hoping that it might be someone who wants to, you know, employ me in their business. Um, so I tend not to want to filter those out. But uh, but it, it, are recruiters getting to use that sort of stuff? I mean, are they starting to, to use robotics or is that it for, for contacting people or is that still a step? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think I don't think they're using it to contact people. I think um, recruiters. There's certainly a, a definitely a percentage of the industry that are definitely starting to use um, technology a hell of a lot more, um, which is great. I'm really understanding mm-hmm. and embracing it, whether it be sort of something as simplistic as a chatbot um, or whatever. But um, I don't think we I don't think we've gone down the route yet where we're using it as proactive business development tactics because I just don't think that's right. 
Uh, we certainly we use it from a marketing point of view. You know, if you think about marketing automation, um, I think that works. I think mm-hmm. a big chunk of what we do from a candidate and client acquisition, acquisition perspective is around utilizing marketing to help us find and bring on and unearth talent better and engage with talent. Um, I think the automation side of that is fine um, to an extent. And I think a lot more recruiters mm-hmm. are starting to use that a lot more than they have done in the past because it's, it's now... It's now less of a sort of a, a dark art. I think it's now more of a norm. Um, and consequently, that means it gets utilised a lot more. You, you mentioned generics and, and data earlier. Um, and obviously, data is fabulous for personalisation. How can who, you, you get in cut? Well, you, you see a huge number of recruitment businesses all mm. the time. Who's using that data well? What are they doing with it? And how are they personalizing it for their client base? Yeah, I, mean, I, I won't use any particular names in, for, um, for the sake of this. Yes, but, of you know, out of, I mean, we, we, work, we do work with a lot of recruitment organizations. We get to spend a lot of time understanding what they do. I think there is a, um, there's a number of recruitment businesses who have put data at the center of their, of their business. Um, and mm-hmm. that allows them to make data-driven decisions, which I think is absolutely critical. So, you know, one, one of the things that, you know, when we talk about service, customer experience, for example, one of the things I get really, really annoyed about is that we think to improve the customer experience, we need to uh, raise the quality of what we do. That's just one small part of it. The real value of customer experience is mm-hmm. where you improve the quality of it, um, but you also tailor it to the person at the other end. Um, and I find I get very frustrated and I've just come back from a, a couple of weeks of traveling um, and I get very frustrated when you go into a, a hotel or wherever it might be or an airline, etc. Um, and they are fixated on giving you a, a what I refer to as a celebrity level of service, um, but they're not considering mm-hmm. or taking into account how what I'm personally feeling right now or, or where my current situation is. So consequently, it comes off wrong. Um, and I think data yeah. allows you to be able to do that. So. You know, if 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 a, an airline knew, for example, that I was uh, flying um, between one country and another, and I was in, um, I had like forty five minutes to get off one plane and board another plane. The last thing you want to do is stop at the desk and then be asked all the classic questions that they were told to ask because it delivered celebrity service. Mm-hmm. Where actually, what they need to do is provide a different type of service, albeit celebrity, but it's tailored to what I need right now, which is I need a quick response, moving forward, get me onto the next plane type stuff. I think sometimes we get that that piece wrong. It's interesting because it, it, in the in the hospitality industry and the leisure industry, uh, they're the two kind of areas that are often seen as beacons for service. Um, and you'd think that, that you know, particularly with the volume of business travel, that they would get. You know, most people just want to get from one place to the other as seamlessly as possible, with as least amount of friction as possible, um, and mm. and learn from it. But yet they still want to take that extra time with you. Um, and I think it's quite interesting what you say because it doesn't make it nicer. It doesn't make it better. It just makes it frustrating. Um, yeah. Oh, leisure and leisure and, and hospitality, say, are, they're often seen as the kind of beacons because they're very much focused on on things. What can we learn in other industries from them? Um, with regards to customer experience and service, mm. um, you know, I mean, I mean, one of the things that we spend a lot, a lot of time talking about with recruitment organisations is, well, two things really, it's their brand proposition. So what do they want to be known for in the industry? And I think in a, in a quite a crowded industry, which is what the recruitment sector is, in the same way hotels are fairly crowded as an industry and so on and so forth, you need to have a very clear brand proposition that people assimilate towards and buy. 
and buy into. And I think, you know, so having a very clear definition of what that is for your business is critical. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think it should be a carbon copy or a slightly 5% better than some, your, than your competitors. I think it should be something which is unique and to you and your business and what you do. Um, and then the second thing for me is uh, once you've identified your brand proposition is to really understand um, what we refer to as the cycle of service excellence. So you know, every single interaction, moment of truth that, that your customers and candidates have with your business's service. And I think some some organizations, no, some, well, so certainly some hotels and, and hospitality organizations do that very, very well. So they think about the moment mm-hmm. you walk into the hotel door. They think about what happens when you go to the bathroom. They think about what happens when you check in and so on and so forth. So every moment of truth is an important opportunity to deliver a celebrity level of service. And I think when, when right. recruitment organizations, and we've done this with a lot of businesses, when they actually map out their cycle of service. So, you know, when a candidate applies for a job, when they, um, when they receive a job spec, when they are sent through for interview, um, all the way through to invoicing and so on and so forth and, and payroll and everything. These are all moments of truth that will really determine, I think, the quality of the experience that customers and candidates have. So they need to be every right. every every moment needs to be a celebrity moment of truth. I think that's absolutely critical. One, one of the things I was talking about with someone recently, actually, it was quite an interesting conversation. Is like I was asking them as a um, um, had they ever actually tried to apply for a job um, on their own company website as if they were a potential candidate. Um, and mm-hmm. the room hadn't, none of them had done it. And, and we used a couple of, um, we actually went through a couple and, and as an example to see, you know, what was it like as a Kansas experience? And it was awful. It was absolutely terrible. You know, and we, and we live mm-hmm. in a world where, you know, if you want to go on a date, you swipe left. You know, if you want to find your future, future partner, you swipe left. That's it. If you, want, if you uh-huh. want to buy a coffee, you put a card on a card reader, walk out again um, without even having to put your PIN number in. So that's the world we mm-hmm. live in. And yet in some instances, we make it quite hard um, for someone to even apply for a job in the first place. You know? And I think those, they're, they're the, some of the changes that we need to be embracing. And I think the industry needs to be embracing, but certainly recruitment organizations as individual businesses need to be thinking about is how do we make, you know, you use that word frictionless. I think it's, it's a great word to mm-hmm. use is how do we make, you know, the candidate process frictionless. So it's easy to hang out with us. It's easy for us to find them jobs um, as opposed mm-hmm. to it's quite laborious and therefore if I'm going to go to four or five different agencies, it's now just going to get painful. And um, I've, got, I've got five frictionful journeys to go through. I often wonder, you know, if you, uh, with, with any business really, if you, if you make the process really nice, really easy, um, and that person finds everything they need with you, the chances of them wanting to go elsewhere are pretty slim. Um, but when we mention that kind of making it difficult for candidates to, to apply for jobs, you just think, come on, really? Yeah. But it does happen. Yeah, I, I don't think it's slim. I, th- I think we certainly improve the chances of them staying. Um, I don't honestly believe that you can really get true candidate loyalty um, because mm-hmm. candidates quite rightly are loyal to themselves and to their future career and their job. So, um, you know, I think... I think a candidate will naturally try and spread themselves as wide as they can to ensure that there's lots of agencies giving them the best opportunities to find the best best job. Um, and that's where a recruiter needs to be absolutely on their game when it comes to not only delivering an amazing service that candidates, they feel brought in that trust and rapport there and et cetera. And there is a level of loyalty, but not a huge amount. Um, but, but also um, where a, can, a, a recruiter needs to ensure they've got a wide collection of, of job opportunities for a candidate. So rather than being focused on just trying to fill loads of jobs, our focus is 
taking mm-hmm. a great candidate and, and helping them find a, a, a job. So placing candidates rather than actually just filling the jobs itself. Does that, has that changed? No, I don't think so. I, I, um, you know, it changes and I think it gets emphasised depending on the, on the market you're in. If it's a talent short market, obviously that gets insinuated um, mm-hmm. as opposed to a client market. But no, it's always been there, I think. You know, it's always been, that's always been what recruitment's about. You, know, you start off, you find an amazing candidate um, and then you take that candidate to market. Um, I don't think that's ever changed, and I think we may have got a little bit lazy sometimes. And I think we, there's too, sometimes I think mm-hmm. there's too much of a focus on BD and sales, um, when actually we need to become damn good at recruiting first to be able to then deliver on the sales in the first place. I mean, customer experience, ultimately, however good and however we sugarcoat it, does come back to how good are you really at delivering what I've asked you to deliver for me. Um, now mm-hmm. that's number yeah. first and foremost. So if we're fixated on just finding jobs all the time and then we work out afterwards how we're going to try and fill it, then I think we're definitely we're definitely missing a trick there, 100%. I think that's a really interesting point you make there, James, and that um, you know, we often think of service and think, well, you know, the, 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 the fact that you can do a good job is a given, but actually it's never a given, is it? And the number of businesses that I've met a recruitment business this week is, you know, they, they basically put people on desk, give them a week's training and off mm. they go. Um, and you think really, and you're still making profit? How is that possible? Yeah, I know. I mean, I, I, I don't get me wrong. I've seen, I've seen it work. And again, it does depend a little bit on the industry you're in, and, and, and so on and so forth, and the types of roles that you're recruiting. But you know, I, I do think sometimes we overtrain recruiters when they, when they join businesses. You know, I, I want to when a recruiter joins a business I, before they do anything, um, I want them to I want them to become just amazing recruiters, as in the ability to find talent that nobody else can find quicker than anybody else in a way better than anybody else. And once once they can do that um, as a habit and it's ongoing and it's continuous and they can keep doing it and doing it and doing it and they're damn good at it, then we might start thinking mm-hmm. about getting in front of customers and selling um, if that's the journey they're going to go on and if, that, if you're going down the 360 route. But, you know, but, but also right. I just want, a damn, I want some damn good recruiters here. I and mean, I've worked with the recruitment organizations where, you know, the brand looks great and their sales activities is, is up there at the, at the top end and they do some amazing stuff. Well, they've got ridiculously low conversion ratios, sort of like twelve to one or something. So they're doing they're doing all that work, um, and they're making they're making profit, mm-hmm. but it's just they're such an inefficient way of working because they're losing so much potential that they could earn. And I think that the key is to get you know get the conversion ratio right, become great recruiters, package it with a great level of service, and then go and take that to market. Well, if you do that, you've got an invincible business, haven't you? Well, I hope. Well, I don't be invincible, but getting close to it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's what we used to call recession-proof: is businesses who can make money regardless of the market. And I think that's that's something that's almost gone out of people's mind. Is that you know the market is very, very flexible. We are absolutely due a recession at any time, mm. um, and when that comes, you still need to be able to find good people because you know jobs need filling. Absolutely, no, agreed. When when you talked about improving the quality of service, mm. how how do you do that? How do you go about it? Um, well, I mean, if, I, I, th- I think the, the the defining point with service to me is service is never about the macro; it's always about the micro. Um, I think mm-hmm. sometimes we spend a lot of time saying, you know, we deliver a great service. Congratulations, high five. Um, yeah. to, to me, it's breaking it down into every single interaction. That's the micro side of it. So how do you deliver a great service? Um, I think from a business owner point of view, I think you need to identify, as I've talked about before, those moments of truth and the micro components of service delivery. Um, mm-hmm. And then identify what great, great sort of what celebrity experience looks like. 
Um, I think what's really important is to reward people um, based on ex- on the customer experience and the service delivery as much as they, as we reward them sometimes on revenue and GP. Right. Uh, and I've seen that happen in a couple of organizations, a couple of recruitment companies where they actually don't have a commission structure based on GP at all. Mm-hmm. It's based purely on net promoter score. Um, okay. And it's got... And, and one in particular that comes to mind, I won't say who they are, but they are one of the fastest growing recruitment businesses in their country. It's overseas, not in the UK, it's overseas. And um, they're doing incredibly well. And that is based literally on the fact that they are fixated on delivering a phenomenal level of service um, to their customers at every single stage of the process. Mm-hmm. Um, back of that, they are winning lots of business, getting lots of um, what I refer to as passive traffic, where candidates for clients are coming to them. And therefore, their profitability is improving and going up. They're getting better account penetration, more referrals, more repeat business. So it goes on. So I think there's definitely a link between the two and they're proving it. Um, but what I yeah. like about that is they've actually put the money where their mouth is. I, I love the sound of that. I mean, I, I trained in a business which didn't have commission. We, we were bonused on profit or a profit split amongst the teams. And I always thought that was a really good way to, to, to not only get teams working together, but actually to take out some of the issues that come with with commission, although that is the simplest way to re- remunerate salespeople. So if a business like that can do so well and grow so quickly without using a traditional structure, why aren't other businesses looking at that too? Um, because it doesn't necessarily work for everybody and depends on the market that you're in um, and depends on the types of people that you're recruiting in your business. So, you know, right. I mean, you know, there's no getting away from the fact there's a big chunk of the industry which are traditionally salespeople, out and out salespeople, who just want to do a mm-hmm. deal, get paid, do a deal, get paid. There's nothing wrong with that, providing they're doing it in the right way. Um, and that's actually fine, but that's a fairly traditional style. Whereas there are other people in the industry who just want to focus on delivering service. You know, they're putting that whole, I suppose, the purpose motive over the profit motive, which is um, some people have go the other way. Um, I think more and more people are doing things like it. It's a big leap, I think, to put your whole commission structure based around net promoter score um, in a marketplace mm-hmm. where you know, we're, we're fighting for margin all the time at the moment because um, of the competition and stuff. So I think um, I think it's a big leap to be able to do that. But I think, I think a lot of agencies are going a, a more in that direction and they're doing more things around service and more things around purpose outputs and, and, that, and that type of stuff um, as they've done, they've done before, I think. Well, you mentioned before the kind of competition in the marketplace and, and you know, in, in the internet age, competition is a click away and it's very quick and easy for people to move and, and to look elsewhere. You, you mentioned um, levels of loyalty for candidates um, and although I, I kind of um, agree with almost everything you said, you know, people will look after themselves. I think we can still encourage people to be more um more favourable if you rather than loyal toward working with us, um, and certainly in terms of referring us on to their friends, family, and colleagues, and, and what have you in the future. Oh, absolutely. Are the, are the levels of loyalty within the client side as well in the same way? Is that less loyal than it used to be? Um, no, I don't think so. Again, I mean, this comes down to. I mean, there's a whole lot of stuff around this, but this comes down to a little bit about how we position ourselves as an industry and as as business recruiters and recruitment business owners. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you if we come in position ourselves as a supplier to the industry, where we're happy to work on generically contingent work and go and get jobs and try and fill them afterwards and all that type of stuff, mm-hmm. then we are a supplier on a potential panel of suppliers. And I think the wider that panel is, the less loyalty there will always be. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas if we're coming in as a partner 
take a partnership approach, which is why some of the uh, the models now that people are using are, are, are very different typical models, uh, where it's a lot of it's out- output focused and it's about you know, all that type of stuff. Then I think suddenly we are becoming more of a, of, of a partner to our, our customers. Uh, the more of a partner you are, the, um, the more exclusivity you will have, um, if not completely, but certainly to more, more of it. Um, and the more loyalty that you would generally create, because then you can get closer to your customers and, and so on and so forth. You know, um, so I, so I think, I think, I think you can definitely create a lot, a greater sense of loyalty with customers um, than potentially mm-hmm. candidates. But it does come down to how we position ourselves in the first place. And you know, one of the biggest beefs I have in the industry is that we do come in sometimes. A lot of agencies do come in as a supplier to the industry, a supplier to our customers of a service or a product. I don't see that's mm-hmm. what we are. I think we are a, we, we should be working in partnership. Um, so our structure and our process and our terms and our agreements and everything and our financial modeling should be linked around a partnership program, um, which then gives us greater access and, and all sorts of stuff, which means we can then deliver a better customer experience, which means then ultimately mm-hmm. if we're delivering a better customer experience, we're producing better outputs and placing more candidates, which means ultimately there's going to create more loyalty because we're doing what we've asked they asked us to do. So... Um, but it starts off with how we position ourselves in the first place. You know, I was told when I first started many moons ago in recruitment that uh, you're only ever as good as your last placement. I don't think that's changed at all. No, 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 not at all. I and mean, I think, no, I, th- I think you know everything we do is watched, everything we do is checked, and I think in the com- in the competitive marketplace, there are another twenty five people at the door of your clients banging on there trying to get mm-hmm. in there in whatever way they're going to do that, whether it be in a in a, an ethical or unethical way, they'll do everything they can to get in front of your your customers. So um, our job is to ensure that we stay front of mind to our customers. And when it comes to like customer experience, I mean, that includes things like getting out and spending more time in front of your customers and seeing them and spending time with them and, um, you know, not doing everything via a portal or not doing everything behind emails because you, mm-hmm. as soon as you start doing that, then you're depersonalizing it again, you're dehumanizing it. Um, and then suddenly you are just a portal that can be forgotten um, as opposed to a person that can't be forgotten. Yeah, you know, there's plenty of technology for that, uh, but that's that's all well and good in the areas it works in. You talked before about walking in the candidate's shoes, about sort of, you know, have you applied online to your own stuff and seeing what it's like. Um, are recruitment businesses as poor at doing that as on the client side as well? Do they spend enough time walking through their client's shoes or walking with their clients through a process? Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't say they're poor at it. I, mean, I think that would be a, a bit harsh when I, when I insinuated that earlier. But, you know, I, I, I just think we're missing some tricks, I, I suppose, is the best way of looking at it. Uh-huh. Um, uh, do, we, do we do the same thing from a client point of view? I, th- I think... I think by default and the way we do things, often a lot of um, the client relationships we have are driven by what the client is asking for, the client terms and that type of stuff. So just by default mm-hmm. of that, we are naturally walking in the client's shoes because they're dictating how they want to work and we sort of jump in and follow suit. Um, so I think there's, certain, there's a, to an extent of that, there's a certain piece around actually we should be dictating a little bit about how the relationship should work. Um, and build, I mean, there's a couple of... Um, a couple of the members of the recruitment network that we've been working with recently who've been producing some really interesting partnership agreements with their customers. And what they've done is they've literally gone out to a customer with a very clear, carefully mapped out but defined blank canvas. It sounds a bit of a cliche thing to say about blank canvas. Actually, walks them through a thinking process together between them and the customer. This is part of their sales. Between them and the customer, they've created the perfect partnership relationship 
uh, what the outputs look like, how that's measured, how that's rewarded, and that's been built being built between the recruiter recruiter and the and the customer. So that consequently has created a, a a very large or great sense of loyalty and, and partnership and relationship, which is great, okay. but also built a, a a a customer experience or a user journey which works for both parties. Mm-hmm. And I can't help thinking that's that's definitely one of the ways that we should be working a hell of a lot more so. Oh, it certainly sounds it. it. certainly does. James, thank you so much for so much time and thought there. Now, there's plenty for people to go away and think about. Could you leave us, though, with your, your big thing, your golden nugget, the one thing that businesses could do today to make their businesses better for today and better for the years to come? <laughs> um, I, I think um, I, I'm going to come back with two things. If that's okay. Yeah, I, I'm very good at one. Um, I, I think I think number one from a recruitment perspective, it goes back to our positioning. Um, this is the time more than ever when recruitment organisations need to be very clearly defining what it is that they do, the value that they bring. Uh, to spend more time talking with their customers about the outputs and the return on investment that their customers get, and, and measuring and proving that. So, and then that then comes down to that positioning piece as a true partnership. Um, so I think that's number one is critical. Okay. Um, and another two, when it comes to the service piece, you know, the way we look at things and we have a very simple sort of mantra, I suppose, in our business is that every customer we have um, is a celebrity as far as we're mm-hmm. concerned. So it should, should receive a celebrity level of service, but is a different celebrity. So that celebrity level of service needs to be tailored per person. Fantastic, James. Thank you again so, so much. Been great chatting with you. No, but I really enjoyed it. Thanks a lot, James. Appreciate it. I hope you really enjoyed this episode of The Only One Business Show, and I look forward to sharing your company again very soon. If you'd like to subscribe, please do so wherever you pick up your podcasts. And in the meantime, have a great day. Bye for now.